Evening, church. Um, tonight we'll be going through James chapter 1. Um, so the book of James. Who here knows who wrote the book of James? Yeah, James wrote the book of James. Now, who was James? Okay, yes, Jesus' little brother. James was Jesus' little brother. But um, church, would you travel me, with me back in time from the time in James' younger days in a place called Nazareth? If we could be looking at James's face right now, he is giving off an awkward expression. No, he's not in the toilet. He's just, he's just embarrassed because he grew up in a household that had Jesus in it. He remember the day when Jesus finally was 30 years old and he, and he left home. You remember that day when him and all his siblings were standing behind the door and mom was outside crying and, and big brother was saying, I got to fulfill the mission of my father. And then he leaves and James is confused. What mission? What, what is there to do? But inside he is, he is glad because big brother was always so weird saying weird things like, I'm God. And, and James is thinking, no, you're not. You're just my big brother. So he's glad. He's kind of relieved that his big brother has walked off into the distant horizon. And finally, James thinks and he thought, finally, I can live now an embarrassed free life. But boy, was he wrong. Because day after day, his friends would come to him and laugh at him. Yo, your big brother's at it again. What did he do this time? Did you see his Snapchat? He's saying he's bread. He's saying that we had to eat his body and drink his blood. Now that's kind of gross. <laughs> oh. Not only that, man, he's doing other weird things on Facebook, Instagram, and, and he's tweeting it. He's saying he's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's saying he's the Messiah. Boy, can we see that James was embarrassed. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, if we can have it at the back here, we see we find doubts in Jesus' family. He had a big family. He had four brothers, James, Jose, Judas, and Simon. And he had at least two sisters. Now, I kind of feel sorry for the guy that named Judas because he's always trying to explain himself. I'm not that Judas. It's like... I'm not Bin Laden. My name's Bin Laden. It's, it's different. But here, can you just imagine that, that big family as they were just sitting on the couch after dinner, after they had dinner, they're just sitting on the couch watching some TV and there is Jesus. He's on today, tonight. On breaking news and he's saying, kill me, but I'll be back. And at this point, the family is, is more worried than anything. Family is going, oh boy, oh. man, someone needs to tell Jesus. Oh, he's just out of his mind. Man, big brother needs some meds. Maybe big brother has spent too long in the Middle Eastern sun and he's, it's kind of fried a bit. Someone needs to tell big brother that Hey, it's, it's good that you have high self-esteem, but it's a bit too high when you claim to be the most high. Jesus, you need to stop that. And so the family gathers together and they have a meeting and they go, okay, big brother, he needs an intervention. Because enough is enough. 
And so they go and they meet him. And you can all read about this family intervention in John chapter 7. They go to Jesus. And they were saying things like, Jesus, big brother, you, you are out of your mind. We do not believe that you are God. Look, you're not God. You need to stop this, big brother. Or else something's horrible is going to happen. You need, you need to stop. And then one of the siblings, they got so angry. So they, they pretty much gave up. And she's fine. Don't do it in these small cities. Go to a bigger city then. And Jesus does exactly that. Instead of doing it in the small places, he goes straight to Jerusalem. And he offends a lot of people. And ultimately, big brother Jesus dies for what he claims. And the Bible says that at the crucifixion, the mother Mary was there seeing her little baby boy, her firstborn son, mocked, scorned, whipped. She's seeing all this cruelty plays out and she also witnesses his final breath. Now as a mother who loved her child, she goes home with this news. And of course, the family members would, would gather. Of course, the family members would will, will shed tears because, yes, even though Big Brother was a bit odd, but he was still family. But church, as we fast forward a few decades down the track, we see that James, he picks up a pen and he writes these very words. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what happened? How could an unbelieving guy suddenly throw all his chips in, all in to Jesus? What hand did Jesus have to show? Resurrection. If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Paul, Paul writes, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he showed himself to, to many. And he showed himself to a bunch of people and he showed himself to James and then to the apostles. Now, James, who was an unbeliever, who, who usually says, I don't know him. I don't know who he is, disowns Jesus, who always resists Jesus' claims, now suddenly says, Jesus is Lord. What, what had to happen there? Church, can you just imagine the reunion? James and his family was probably in the house probably crying still mourning because it's only three days after. And James here is a knock on the door. And he opens his door and who does he see? It's, it's big brother. It's, it's big brother Jesus. And I'm just imagining what would that conversation take place? What it would be like? Was, was James crying? Would James be hugging his older brother? Would, would James be in awe? Would James be on his knees in worship? I can just imagine Jesus saying something like, Bro, I'm back. I told you I was God. And at this point, James is just broken down inside. His worldview is totally changed. And he says, Yes, sir, you are. You are. Now there's a theory that says Jesus... Only someone that looked like Jesus died on the cross. It was just his doppelganger. Now, I point to James because you, cannot, you can fool a lot of people with a stunt double, but you cannot fool a family member like a little brother. You can't. 
And here, as we journey through the book of Acts, just tonight, we only have time for four verses. Um, I pray, too, that you, too, will encounter the risen Christ. But before we dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that you have gathered us here tonight. Even though it's so cold at times, but Lord, you, you are good. And Lord, I just pray that you send your Holy Spirit to move around this place, Lord. Reveal to us who your Son really is. Speak to us. We know that you're real and you meet us. Where we are, you don't mind who we are. But Lord, we just pray that we see exactly who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I was kind of feeling restricted there. <laughs> I need to move that back. The book of James is pretty much wisdom literature. So in other words, this book, if you read it, it's going to be good for your everyday life. It's going to be practical to you. And interestingly enough about this book is it was first written in Greek, then it was translated to the Latin, and then it was translated to the English. Now, I know the English translators, they did their best to try to translate this book, but in Greek, there was no such things as a James. Okay, so that's why some scholars would argue that this book should be called the book of Jacob. Because after all, James is, uh, comes from the root of Jacob. Now, why did I tell you this? That's, like, how can that help me, Dexter? Now, if you can see this, this would actually help you and change the way you read the book of James. So I'll read to you again, James 1 verse 1. But this time, instead of saying James, I'll say Jacob. All right, here we go. Jacob, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nation. Now, wait a minute. Have we heard about Jacob and 12 tribes before? We have. And it's in the Old Testament. Jacob changed his name to Israel. And Israel then had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's clear to me that Jacob is a father. And Father Jacob is speaking to his 12 kids. And if you just look at verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Now that word for brother, some even argue you can actually translate it to sons and daughters. So here, James, he's speaking in a fatherly tone. This is the orientation of the book. That's why you're going to find in this book, it's going to be so hard hitting because dad, he gives to you straight. He doesn't sugarcoat things for you. It's like, no, son, you're wrong. This is what you need to do. And if you ask dad for advice, he was like, this is what you need to do. It's going to be pretty hard hitting. It's, it's, you also see in this book, there's going to be a lot of prep talks and a lot of warnings. It's like when Simba was talking to his dad, Mufasa, on Pride's Rock, as they were looking out into the horizon, out into the setting sun. Mufasa said, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba is like, wow. But what about that shadowy part? And dad says, yeah, that's Armadale. Don't go there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, those who of you who go to, who lives in Armadale. You're welcome, dear. We love you. We love you. So there's a lot of warning in this book. And here, Father James, he, he, is, he is writing and encouraging and prep-talking his, 
his, his kids because life is going to be hard. Life hits you hard. And so, son, you, son daughter, you, you need to harden up as well. And he's writing to the church who was scattered. Scattered after the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. They were persecuted. If you know your history well, right after Stephen's death, people were throwing these Christians into the Colosseum and making them being eaten by lions or fighting trained warriors. And there was a lot of death in the city of Jerusalem. And so they scattered. They scattered because Jews were hunting Christians. And so they're all over the place. And this is who James writes in his old age. And he pens down to encourage them to to persevere. And James says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now let me make it clear to you. This is what isn't James saying. He isn't saying, Consider it pure, my joy, my brothers, if you face trials of many kinds. Because the word if means there's a, it's only a slight possibility. But when he says when, when means it's going to be a 100% possibility. It's going to happen one way or another. That's why you will never hear me preach, then up here say, hey, follow Jesus and, and it's going to be a hakuna matata. Where the rest of your days, you don't need to worry that you're going to have wealth, that you're going to have stealth. <laughs> that didn't work. That's a ninja. <laughs> wealth, health, that, that you're going to be okay, that you're going to have a spring in your step every day, that there's going to be rainbows. No. It's not going to happen. Yes, following Jesus is the best decision that you can make in your life, but he does not promise you smooth sailing. Storms will come. Winter is coming. <laughs> Literally, it's really cold right now. And some of you tonight, you have just came out of the season of a storm. Some of you are currently in it. And for the, for the rest of you, let me warn you as your pastor, as someone who loves you, that your trouble is just right around the corner. Now, when trouble hits you, It does not hit you only once. It hits you consecutively. Now, who here has played paintball? Anybody played paintball? Only only a few, but there's a few. Now, I went to... Well, my friends, they took me to paintball because it was five days before I was getting married. And so what happened was there was two teams. There were the... The team with the black mask and the team with the green mask, it's, it's separated in two teams. And with those two masks, it helps them camouflage. It helps them blend in with the environment and with the elements. But for me, what I received was a bright fluoro yellow mask. And I just had to wear it the whole time. And so what happened to me was I became a living target. Everyone made sport out of me. By the end of the of the whole session, I was on the ground, squirming like a worm. Tears were mixed in with saliva. I was apologizing to people. I didn't even know why I need to apologize. I was just saying, sorry, sorry, just, just so they stopped shooting me. I was in such despair. I was thinking, when is this going to end? Why did my friends have to buy the jumbo pack? Their bullet seems like, un- like limitless. I'm like, I was dying on the ground. 
When would this end? Now, sometimes life can feel like that, but way worse. Way worse. And I'm here not to try to spook you. I'm not trying to deflate your spirit. But as your pastor, my job is to prepare you for not if, but when you are facing trials of many kinds, not some or a few or none. You're going to face many. Because this life, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, what's going to happen? Jesus also said, no servant is greater than his master. If I have suffered, you too will suffer for your faith. Now, don't expect that life that you get to lay down in a bed full of roses. Now, even if you do, yes, it's a beautiful bed, but don't forget roses have a lot of thorns. It's going to hurt. Now, I experienced running into a rose bush before. I was running away from Tiggy. Some people tried to catch me, and I jumped in a rose bush. I thought it was okay, but I came out with a lot of cuts and, and bruises, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty at all. Life is hard. Trials will come. Because there will be days where you will be lonely. There will be days where you are misunderstood. There will be days where anxiety and depression sinks in. There will be days where you feel like no one cares and no one understands you. There will be days where we just want to give up. This passage is for you. James 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, James, he isn't saying, he isn't implying, when you're in trouble, you're clapping, like, yeah, bring it on. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying, be a Christian, you know, the cuckoo Christians that says, yes, my house burned down. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they look so happy that their insurance company look at them suspiciously. Did you burn down your own house? Don't be like that. There are Christians out there that says, I lost my job. Yeah, boy. I got hit by a cricket bat, but thank God I can still move my neck. Like, There's Christians that say these things. And I'm like, what? And James also doesn't mean... Hey, look for trouble. There was this church father by the name of Oregon. Okay, Oregon, I did an assignment on him uh, for my Bible college research, and I was just researching this guy, and I'm like, man, this guy is a nutter, like a legit nutter, because he wanted to be martyred for the faith. Yeah, that's, that's admirable, but he just wanted to be martyred martyred for nothing. He just wanted to go off in the street and die for Jesus, because back then in his time, Dying for Jesus was a fashionable thing. So what, these, what he wanted to do was he'd go out and provoke, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And, and he just wanted people to kill him. Now, he was a nut, but he had a good mother. So what his mother did was she confiscated all his clothes, even his undies, and, and it was just in the house with no clothes on. Now, this stopped him from running out and getting killed, getting martyred. He wanted to die for Christ, but not naked, because that's, that's a bit shameful. Thank God for mothers, wise mothers like that. That's why we're going to celebrate them next week, if you come with us next week. So as Christians, 
when we are facing trials, pain, and suffering, those things are bad. It's not good. It's not fun. Don't seek it out. It will naturally come to you. In times of troubles, we don't, as Christians, we don't stick our head in the sand like as, as in we ignore it. And also as Christians, we don't stick our head in the fan. That's just asking for it. But when trials come, James says this, consider it. Consider it. In other words, change your perspective. Because the emotion that you feel is probably sorrow at this point. It's not fun. There's, there's no joy, but consider it pure joy. Why? We have to make a conscious decision to change our perspective about the possibility of the result of this pain. The possibility of the result of this pain. And it says in verse 3, because the testing of your faith, because the testing of your faith produces what? Now this word for testing, it's a word that people use for refining silver and gold. So in other words, it's a smelting word. So what you would do is you'll get a lump of iron ore and then you'll chuck it in this furnace and it will be heated up to extreme heat. And what will happen is all this useless metal will start separating from the precious metal and it will start to burn out, oxidize and fall apart. And what you will have left is gold or silver. And going through the furnace is like, is like that. Your faith is going to be like that. It will be tested. Now, if you're in the fire and you are a piece of gold or a piece of silver, when would this process stop? Now, any goldsmith and silversmith will tell you, the process is finished when I see myself. In other words, when we are finally reflecting who God is. God is putting us in this process to make us more like Christ. That's the end result there. We are going to be more like Christ. In verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness. Now this word for steadfastness, I'm going to do another word study with you. This word steadfastness, or in other versions it says endurance. Okay, this word, it's, it literally means hyper-under. Or hyper stand. Like hyper under means no matter what pressure that you're in, you, you stay there. You, you, you keep staying under that pressure. Or hyper stance where you are not moving. You are staying exactly where you are. Now in a sense, this is what Christian maturity is about. If you can stand or stay under the pressure. Here's the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian. It's not about age. It's not about age. It's mature Christians will stay, while the immature Christian is, once it gets a bit too hot, they're out. Before the process finished, they quit. And sadly, I've seen many people who have left the faith. Man, I'm, I'm losing too many friends. I'm out. I'm losing too much money. I could be making more money. I'm out. I'm losing too much time to study for my exam. I'm going to skip church. I'm going to skip youth group. And then, sun, and then they slowly drift out. Um, life's too hard, God. I'm out. Someone offended me at church. I'm out. Ministry is too hard. I'm out. 
That's not standing under. That's what you call an immature Christian. Pumba says from The Lion King, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. No, mature Christian, we stay. We stay. Now let's look back at the author's James life. Do you know what he was called by Paul? Paul the Apostle who wrote nearly like half of our New Testament. This is what he says about James. This is what he comments about James. He says James is a church pillar. Look at Galatians 2 verse 9. And when James and Peter and John who seem to be like pillars... You know what a pillar does? This big column pillar does? It carries the load. It's strong. It stays standing. It isn't moving anywhere. It's going to be there. But if it moves, the whole thing's going to collapse. So it has the duty of just staying and just being there steadfast. That's what James was called. He was called a pillar. And if you know your church history and tradition well, James, he stood steadfast, even facing opponents, even when he faces death. So what happens is James in his old age, after he, he has written this letter, a short time after this, the church leaders have pulled him up to the temple of Jerusalem. It's very high. And he's, and he's standing there at, at the very edge. And there's a group of people just in front of him saying, hey, look, deny Christ. You said he was crazy when you were younger, but what happened? You used to call him a madman, but now you're calling him a God-man. Deny Christ and we'll let you live. And James, he is saying, no, I can't. I really did see Jesus die. I really did see Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus is really the Messiah. Angry, they push him off. And he falls meters and meters off the ground. And he hits the floor but he survives because after all, he's a, he's a carpenter by trade. You know, Jesus' family are full of carpenters. And so their carpenters back in those days were like Arnold Schwarzeneggers. They're like just tough. So he survives the fall, but his leg is totally crushed and broken. And so these Jewish leaders, they look down and they see, oh, he's still alive. And so they rush downstairs and they surround him and they say, hey, look, we're giving you another chance. You're not dead because God's giving you another chance. Say that Christ isn't God. Stop blaspheming God and curse Christ. And you know what James does? He starts praying for them which really just infuriates them. And so they start picking up rocks and they started stoning him. And he's on his last breath and Josephus and the historian said that someone took a club. They came up to him and they crushed his head. But he stood strong even in front of his enemies. He, he was murdered for his faith. This guy is a guy who practices what he preached. When he says persevere, again, this word means endure, to stay under pressure. Remember what I've been saying, hyperstand, to stand fast in a circumstance where any situation, you're not moving, you're not budging, you're going to stand still. How is that possible? 
What was his drive? What was the source of his willpower? What, what made him so determined? Why? Because he had a better example to look up to. It was his brother. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured. Now that word endured, again, that's the word hyperstand. He endured the cross. Now why did Jesus endure the cross? Now enduring the cross, again, Jesus wasn't clapping. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't... He wasn't celebrating because enduring, it's nothing fun about enduring the pain and the cross. But what drove him? The joy that was set before him. On that cross, the weight of all humanity's sin. On that cross, the righteous wrath of God was absorbed by him. The punishment that we deserve came down on him. On that cross, Jesus stayed. Before the cross, in that garden, he could have backed out of it. He's like, no, Dad, I am not taking that cup. But no, he says, I will take that cup, Dad. Why? On that cross, he stood fast. He did not budge. And what was the result of all this? So we could come to God and God could receive us. Now that was the joy that was placed before him. Dexter, how would you know if that's the joy placed before him? Because other verses such as when one sinner repents and turns to Christ, all of heaven is celebrating. All of the angels, all of the heavenly hosts and God himself is celebrating when one person turns to him. So that was the joy set before Christ. Because he knew that if he did not sacrifice himself, if he knew he did not stand fast, then there was no chance of us coming to the Father. Now consider this, church. When life is getting dark, when life is getting bad and worse, we're going, when we're going to get persecuted for our faith one day, stand fast out of love. Now that's key. We only love God because God first loved us. Now, tonight's passage, I'm not telling you to put this and train it like a discipline. You're only doing it because Dexter told you to and you're just going to be robotic about it. No, that's not, you're not going to go through your sufferings like that. No, you can't. The key here is, is love. This is your perspective. Jesus stood for me. He first loved me. And so I'm going to love him by standing for him because he stood for me. Now, James, he stood unmoving to the very end. He knew exactly what his big brother has done for him. That's why in this letter, as he greets himself, he does not say, James, the brother of Jesus. No, he doesn't say that. He says, James, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he too knows that he needs a savior. He too knows that he is only a servant and he is Lord. And he clings onto this, even onto death. And I just wonder when the moment that club has hit his head, as his soul departs from his body, 
He's reunited with his big brother, Jesus Christ. And I wonder what that reunion would be like. Church, I'm just speculating. Was James crying? Did James run up to hug his brother? Was James on his knees? Or was James standing and saying, Sorry, I really tried. But at that moment, his big brother wraps his tender arms around James and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did good, brother. Now, church, imagine if that was you. How good and sweet would that sound in your ears when Christ says that to you one day because you endured. And I'll end tonight's sermon with verse 12 of James. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Look, church, when you are enduring trials and hardships of many kinds, you might not even get out of it like James did. You might even lose your life like James did. But you know what? Christ, you still have Christ in the end. And you realize that Christ was enough. And you realize that Christ was worth it. He was worth your life. God bless you, church.